Marvelites, you are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale April 12, 2023. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. The M stands for Marshmallow. Hmm. Hmm. Not a huge Marshmallow guy. What? That's fine. That's, yeah. that's why they call you Agent Marshmallow, because you don't like yep. marshmallows. It's just like... Mm. It's just rude. I know. Uh, anyway, you were not with us last week, but I wanted to share with the listeners some of your, your pulls that you got at C2E2 because we, you know, we've been talking these last couple of weeks here and on Twim about convention season is here and we're curious, you know, we know a lot of our listeners are going to comic cons and then, you know, sometimes picking up books that we talk about here. Uh, but you, and I will be honest, I said to this to you multiple times when we started talking about these, you're mm-hmm. just burning money yeah. for wonderful wonderful pulls it's no, great it's great so like there's two things right uh listeners of the show longtime listeners will know that i collect vintage romance comics um whether they're marvel or some of our competitors i just love finding them because they're just over the top and dramatic and just so petty uh but the art is also just gorgeous and so i got two issues of miss america patsy walker um as well as about five issues of millie the model but I also have a long list of books that like I have deemed my like all-time favorite issues of comics. They're not necessarily like, oh, this is the best of the best. It's more of like, this meant something to me. Mm-hmm. And that could be a, something as simple as like, it made me laugh or I can't believe this exists. Or like, you know, like, wow, this story was very powerful and it resonated with me. Or the art really resonated with me. So some of those issues included Amazing Spider-Man Extra issue number two, which I told you and like a couple of our listeners countless of times like one of my favorite spider-man stories that are in there it's by zeb wells and it's a short story about spider-man celebrating wolverine's birthday at a bar and you're like why i remember that one why is wolverine celebrating this birthday with spider-man that's what the story is about it's great so sweet um i got a couple issues of dakota north because i love her i also managed to find dance lot if you're listening i found it Issue number one of the Ren and Stimpy show by Dan Slott. So excited that I was Wait, able to check that down. Did he do one? I thought I wasn't sure no. which ones, which issues. He, he did, did multiple issues, but wow. I got the first one. Um, I could have walked away with more, but I decided to just cool it a little bit. Sure. Because I needed to buy my copy of NFL Super Pro issue number one, and then I found '90s Barbie. Marvel Comics, which was very appropriate Hell because yeah. the trailer came out just like days after I came home with those. So very mm-hmm. excited. I got like the first like six issues of that. But really That's good great. stuff. Yeah. I, you had a Dazzler number one. Mm-hmm. I saw got Dazzler stack. number one. I finally got my copy of the Strife Files because it just... Strife, like, strike File? Excuse sorry. me? Strife's Strike Files. Sorry. Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, but I needed to get my copy because my collection would be empty without one. So True. A hundred percent. That is true. That that to me is the the whole that's the crowning jewel in that whole collection. So good stuff from C2E2. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to whatever next convention you go to and whatever nonsense you come back with and it being delightful and wonderful. But this is not just us talking about the old pulls. This is the official Marvel podcast for Marvel Comics, where we give you some details and reasons to check out every new comic each week. We'll give you three personal picks of ours. We'll also tell you a bit about every other issue coming out this week, and we'll pick a favorite non-ish spoilery reason for you to check out each issue by giving an award named after a quote pulled from this week's releases. Then we'll run you through all the new Infinity comics hitting Marvel Unlimited, some highlights from issues new to Marvel Unlimited, and some picks from collections on sale this week. Plus, we have a reading club where we talk about a book in Marvel Unlimited with a guest. What are we doing this week? Yes, we're going to be talking to Marvel editor Annalise Bissa about New Avengers from 2004, issues number one through six. It's the breakout arc. So it's the very beginning of Brian Michael Bendis's just legendary Avengers run. Wild. It's great. That's later in the show. We'll get into all of that soon. Right now, we got to get into our picks of the week, starting with Captain America Cold War Alpha number one. This is the big one. We are finally here. Written by Jackson Lansing, Colin Kelly, and Tochi Anyabuchi, with art by Carlos Magno, colors by Guru EFX, lettering by VCs Joe Caramagna. We've got two books, two Captain America titles, one with Sam Wilson, one with Steve Rogers, and they've been dealing with a whole lot of stuff. 
but they've slowly been coming to a head here. It's not a like Steve and Sam punching each other story in this issue. It is Steve and Sam coming together because they've got mutual enemies dealing with a whole bunch of stuff. It is uh, a lot of character moments in here, which I was really happy for because it, the book opens with Steve and Ian Rogers coming together and having breakfast, which is really wonderful. We saw that at the end of last week's Sentinel of Liberty, Ian showed back up in Steve's life. And then we just get them like talking a little bit. But even before that, we get to see the revolution, aka Bucky, teaming up with White Wolf, aka Hunter, brother of T'Challa. And it's just like we are off and running. And I think the thing is, if you have not been reading the two Captain's America titles, you could just dive right into this. Mm-hmm. This will give you everything you need. And then you'll probably go, ooh, I should I should go back and reread the others because there's some good stories in here. I really like the symbolism of having Bucky and Hunter do the Predator handshake, like the meme of Arnold Schwarzenegger and uh, Carl Weathers from the original Predator film. They have that most manly of handshakes. And in Captain America number zero from a year and change ago, we had Sam and Steve do that handshake. And then boom, come here to Cold War Alpha and you got Bucky and Hunter doing it. I was like, I see what you did there, guys. Should we do it virtually? Yeah. Ah, there ah. it is. Sorry, you can't see my hand. <laughs> uh, we also get to return to Dimension Z, which is rad. Yes. Uh, if you do not know what Dimension Z is, you should go check out the Captain America series by Rick Remender, John Romita Jr., and a whole bunch of other great, great creators from 2013. That'll give you all that backstory, but that introduced Ian, that introduced mm-hmm. like the big threat that's sort of been percolating through the um, the Captain's America books and then shows up here. So that's really great. This is the the kickoff. We're going to then go into the individual Cap books before we wrap this up in like two months or so. So if you've not been reading the Cap books, jump on here, then go back. Or if you have been reading the Cap books, business is about to pick up. Yes. All right. Next up is my first pick of the week, which is Marvel's Voices, Spider-Verse, issue number one. And inside this book, we have eight original Spider-Man stories or Spider-Verse stories uh, that vary from everything between humorous to like dark and like uh, a little bit more on the serious note. But what we get is a wide range of different spiders um, across the multiverse, including some of them that are in our own 616 universe. We get a Miles Morales story. We get a Silk story. We get a Spider-Gwen story. And then we start to branch out into some of the new spiders that we've seen from other Spider-Verse stories. And I have to, have to, have to shout out my favorite one of this one, which is Spider-Weaver. Um, and the story's called Fire with Fire, which features Spider-Weaver going on a vacation of sorts, right? He's going out to Fire Island with his boys. He's just having a good time. And when I tell you that Luciano Vecchio's art complements Steve Fox's just like writing perfectly, I like... <sighs> It's so good. Like, and the yeah. thing that I love about this this story is that it does the thing that I want these small short stories to do, which is like give us this window into another reality and like show us what we're working with. Like give us a reason why we would want to continue exploring this world. What makes it different? And Steve and Luciano hold back zero punches. Like immediately we get introduced to a handful of different villains and like variants of villains. We get a Spider Gwen Morbius villain we get uh, a hydra man a sandman we get a ton of other stuff including easily one of my favorites like i need more of this character but a venomized drag brunch uh let me say that again a venomized drag brunch which is so good uh and the art by luciano vecchio is just perfect on top of that we get stories by cheryl lynn eaton which i liked which is a, a an original character named recluse uh who's a new spider who's introduced in this book as well as another one by Jason Lowe that is called Spider Friend, and it is essentially a sitcom-based spider hero. So as you're reading it, it starts off with like someone kind of changing the channel. Even the universe designation is Earth CH10 because it's Channel 10, and like like you can almost hear the laugh track when you're reading this book because it's like every line ends with like some type of gag or some type of joke, and it's just a wonderful like story about a new spider. And then when you get to the essays in between some of these issues, you get to see some of the like behind the scenes decisions 
that are made by some of these creators like Jason Lowe. Um, he talks about, you know, sitcoms like Friends and never being able to see himself in these types of uh, sitcoms. And so he was like, if I'm going to create a spider, why not put it in a sitcom and then make it make him Asian American? And it's it's really wonderful to see these creators really get to shine and create their own universe in their own image. I have one bone of contention with this issue. It Uh-oh. is in the Miles and Misty story in which uh, Miles is training with Misty Knight. And um, because he's got to babysit his little sister, Billy, she's there with him. And it's really cute, really fun. But that one point they get in the car and Miles is sitting in the, the passenger seat of the front of the car with <laughs> Billy on his lap. I don't even know if they're strapped in. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. They're superheroes, but superheroes are constantly getting in trouble. There, there's the larger possibility of them getting into a car crash. And I was like, that baby needs to be in a car seat. I don't know. I think being on a Spider-Man's lap is probably a lot safer than a car seat. I do not know that. I can, I think that is actually <laughs> that you're. It is far less safe to be anywhere near a spider person. I don't suggest anybody try that. Um, I definitely recommend a car seat, but yes. Yeah, look, this this issue ten bucks, but it is square bound, so it's it feels it's the size of like a collection. It is jam packed with really great stories, so it is worth the money uh, for everybody this week. Also worth the money for everybody this week is our last pick of the week, Guardians of the Galaxy number one. Um, oh man, so good. Also, but you know, we I've been talking about the um, Alex Ross timeless variants. Um, there's a couple this week. There's some last week. You know, we've been doing a lot of these. But of all the books to get Alex Ross's Doctor Doom timeless variant, it's on Guardians of the Galaxy. I love it. I love it. It makes me so happy. I don't doesn't. It has no reason to me, but I'm I'm all for it. What are you talking about? There's a post credit scene at the end of this book with Doctor Doom in a cowboy hat. That's yep. it. Spoilers. Oh, sorry. <laughs> uh, this issue is written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing with art by Kev Walker, colors by Matt Hollingsworth and lettering by VCs Corey Pettit. Kev Walker just built to do widescreen space Western books. It's dusty. There's cool character designs. There's weirdness to it. It's gritty. It is. I mean, we've been singing Kev's praises for a long time. I've been a huge fan of his for even longer. And I think it feels like this is the book where he's flexing and he's just showing like, this is what I'm made to do. I'm made to do amazing comics and let me run free. You know, we talked to Colin and Jackson a while ago about working with Kevin. They were just like, we give him this. And then he goes and he makes it 10 times better. And you can see that there's such a great base for the story, for what they want to do. And then Kev takes something that's already incredible and turns it into something even better it is just beautiful beautiful stuff also got to give major shout out to matt hollingsworth because the coloring here is so good you know to be able to depict like that dusty western feel but also pop it with alien colors and pastels and purples and explosions and sunlight and like the different hues and shades and like the green of gamora in here or the the different blues and, and sort of pinks of nebula I just, I love it. The dialogue is so fun. There's uh, one character, and I'm, I'm not gonna, I don't want to spoil too much, but one character saying, what'll it be? A shallow grave or a fond farewell? And I was like, hell yeah. You're just getting full into it. There's ain't no room for good out here. I've seen more war than you can imagine, dirtbag. They just came to write some Western dialogue, and I am Great. all for it. There's also a scene in here that like really evoking that Western vibe of increasingly tighter close-ups of the team as they're squaring up to some baddies. And then you can, in your head, imagine Ennio Morricone's music and like, you know, Fistful of Dollars and like all the, the, the big spaghetti Westerns. You would, you know, the songs they're in your brain. And like, I would say, if you have the opportunity, when you're reading this book, just put on, you know, the soundtrack to the good, the bad, and the ugly. Simple. Just do that. Put that on while you read this. Boom. Transported. It is so good. 
And then all of that. So we've got the Guardians there in the middle of this big Western story. What's going on? This is a different tone than we've seen from them before. But they are sort of out trying to outrun and save people from something called Grootfall. And mm. this issue, we meet Grootfall. That's been a little bit of our marketing, our teasers and stuff like that. We're starting to get a sense of what Grootfall is and how much it's affecting the team and the members of the team that we see. What about the members of the team that we don't see? That is a, a question I came out of this with, like, who's missing from here, which is Dr. Doom. Yep. Dr. Doom. But he does come in <laughs> right at the end with his little cowboy hat and it's undersized. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah, not yeah, even yeah. full size. No. Um, yeah. The, the thing about this issue is it kind of it to me, it's that perfect mix of feels right for MCU fans, mm-hmm. but also for comics fans. Yeah, it is that it straddles that line. So wherever you come into the Guardians, I feel like you're going to come out of this being like, I love this. I want more of this. Uh, moving on to our awards and community section. We had an award last week. I was here solo. So Jasmine, would you like to hear what the award was? Yeah, what'd you do? I chose... We Tokyo drifted across dimensions, Ooh. and that was said by our pal Miles Morales in Spider-Man number seven, which, God, that issue's so good. So good. So, so good. Did you talk about the fact that Dan Slott not only pulled a fast one on us over what the end of the Spider-Verse meant, yep. mm-hmm. but also he made a terrible, terrible pun in that issue as well? Is are you talking about the Parallel Parker one? Yeah, it's so dumb. I just loved it. I... One of his greatest puns. I was so happy. He's actually posted about it on, on Twitter to be like, don't share it, but enjoy it. Yeah. Did you see what he posted about his like worst pun of all time? No, I, I might have missed that one. He tweeted out, the worst pun I ever made in a comic was in Disney's Aladdin issue number 11, 28 years ago, back in 1995. And it's Aladdin with, you know, the gang like Jasmine and Jeannie. And he's pointing at two like people that he's chasing after. And he's like, hold it right there, fellas. No one commits a sultan battery while I'm around. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad. Who let him do that? Why, Doesn't why matter. would they let him do that? The the story the Aladdin story was about a magic carpet race and the story's title was Carpet Diem. Oh my god. Oh my god. What are we gonna do? You with know that? what? Dan Slot needs to be stopped. He needs to be stopped. Anyway, (sighs) we love it. We're very happy. More of those, uh, more of those puns, please, Mister Slot. But again, that is we Tokyo drifted across dimensions from Spider-Man number seven, and we had a winner scarily early this week. It was Paul Warren coming in at uh, three a.m. Eastern. Wow! Kudos to you, Paul. Everybody else out there, step it up. Move quicker. Also this week, we got an email from Canny who said, Loving the podcasts. I just started getting into comics recently because of a TikTok community. Ooh. I just love the halls and discussions that we have there. Uh, and he says, I started listening to the podcast recently, and y'all make me extra excited for new comic book days. Even though I'm a big X-Men fan, my favorite run right now is Fantastic Four, written by Ryan North. Woo. Let us get into this week's award name. What did we choose, Jasmine? All right, so this week we're going to be giving out the Time to Ruin Some Lives Award. It's a good one, uh, but if you find the Time to Ruin Some Lives quote in your comics this week, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's Pull List or email us at pulllist at marvel.com. If you're the first, give or take, I'm watching you, Paul, and, and a couple of others who get in very early all the time. I want to see new names, new names. But anyway, if you're the first, I will reach out to you, give you a recent digital comic of your choice, and please mark your message as okay to read so we can read it here on the show. And if you have a local comic shop, please give us their name and location so we can give them a shout out. We always love to do that. But what happens if they're not the first? Well, we've teamed up with Marvel Insider to score you some Marvel Insider points. All you need to do is head over to marvel.com slash insider. Once you finish listening to the episode, look for the Marvel Polis quote of the week activity. There, you'll be asked to identify the correct quote of the week from the four choices, which should be easy because you listen to this week's episode. Uh, but there, you'll also find three of the other ones that uh, didn't make the, the cut for the award name this week. All you need to do is choose correctly, and you'll earn 500 Marvel Insider points. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we 
We have to narrow down our 12 or however many each week into four. One of those four is the winner. Anyway, you play, you listen, you read, everybody wins. All right. So again, 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 this week's quote is time to ruin some lives. And let's give that award out to all the other great books this week, including Bloodline Daughter of Blade number three. Um, This one is full of great stuff. It's like you you get Blade's origin, Brielle, uh, the daughter of Blade, what her situation is, the dynamics of it all. I love Brielle's mom. She's amazing. She doesn't take any crap from anyone. Um, There's a wonderful, wonderful last page, a great montage, but I will give my time to ruin some lives award to uh, a vampire who's who's like to Blade, like, you don't scare us. And then next panel is Blade just full slicing the vampire in half. I just was like, yeah, you don't mess with Blade. All right, next up is Captain Marvel number 48. This could have been a pick of the week for me, oh, too. It's so, totally. so good. And it like I love this little team that Kelly has assembled on this planet against the brood, but I absolutely have to give my award to Binary, who, you know, was going through it for the last couple of issues, comes back, like, full-powered, and uh, just wrecks some havoc, and I, I love her so much. Binary absolutely gets my time to ruin some lives because she ruined my life. We're going to have a lot to talk about. In therapy, yes. Yes. All right, moving on to Carnage number 12. Um, There's, you know, there's... This is an interesting horror title um, because there's an interesting take on on sort of the horror of Carnage in here because at a point we're getting into delving into the stories of the people Carnage is attacking, showing their humanity, making us care about them. Um, It's nasty, nasty stuff, and it really, like, it does help you feel more invested in the nightmares of it all. So woof, woof. Uh, I I want to give my time to ruin some lives award to uh, just the idea of what Cletus is right now. It's Cletus Cassidy's soul in a symbiote dragon that is fused with a stark armor. And that's messed up and that's dangerous. And that is leading us right into carnage reigns coming next month all right next up we have fantastic four issue number six again could have been a pick of the week for me because Mm -hmm. this book is jam-packed like not a single panel goes to waste in this book there's so much dialogue in here that is like just gorgeously written and ryan north is going to get my time to ruin some lives award just for his writing in this book because there's a great 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 moment between the human torch and uh susan richards when they're out into space, they're kind of isolated. They they finally get a moment to just be brother and sister again and bond over that. Mm-hmm. And I adore that. Like, I love the Fantastic Four. And it's these types of moments that really, really resonate with me as a reader of the Fantastic Four. On to Miles Morales, Spider-Man number five. Uh, wanted to shout out, we have a Dave Marquez variant for this. Dave Marquez, a great, great artist, did a ton of wonderful, wonderful work on uh, Defenders and, uh, and and Miles Morales and a whole bunch of stuff. He has not been at Marvel for a little while. We got him on some covers again, baby. Is good stuff. Very excited by that. Uh, I want to give my Time to Ruin Some Lives award to just the big knockdown drag out battle between Miles and Rabble. Goes on for a while. It is cutting in in what is spoken between them. It is brutal. It is heartbreaking. It is intense. Uh, and Miles, you, he pulls out an electricity sword. And I was just like, yes. That was wild. Did not see that coming. Hell yeah. All right. Next up again, another pick of the week for me easily could have been Moon Knight issue number 22 because it is low key a Tigra issue because in this book, we get a little story behind like it's still a Moon Knight story. It's very much still a Moon Knight story. But what we get is the perspective of Tigra as she's been, you know, not only caring for Mark and like really working with him to build the midnight mission as well as like standing up for him. Like at one point, she even points out the fact that like she turned on the Avengers for him. And this is a story that's told from her perspective as she tries to go out on her own to essentially take out the Midnight Man, a new Midnight Man. Uh, But the other thing I wanted to point out and the thing that I absolutely loved here about uh, Jed McKay's work is the fact that we bring back Greer, Tigra's son, who we really haven't seen since like a few issues of Unstoppable Wasp. When like Tiger nearly ripped off Vivision's head for insinuating that his father was a Skrull, which not wrong, but also like 
getting back to that core relationship and the trauma that Tiger has been dealing with since Avengers Initiative uh, when she was in a relationship with Hank Pym. Like, Hank Pym is gone, and they had a child together. Um, there's a little bit of weird stuff going on there that might not make it exactly, you know, as cut and dry, but still, like, those feelings were real, and she's kind of dealing with them. I mean, she's having to deal with them here. And for that, I'm giving Jed my... Time to ruin some lives award. Again, more stuff to talk about in therapy. I can't wait. If you, like us, want a full Tigra series. Oh my God, yes. Let us know. Let Marvel Comics know. Tweet at Tom Brevoort. Tweet at Jed McKay. Tweet at CB Sobolski. Send us emails. I will forward them on. That's pull list at Marvel.com. Please. I demand more Tigra. This was so good. So oh good. Ugh. All right, on to Predator number two, also really good. And it has that uh, new 20th Century Studios trade dress, which I just, it looks real fresh. So it's really cool. nice. It looks so different cool. than our other books, and it's mm-hmm. it's a cool thing. Um, yeah, there's there's a really cool thing going on. There's a lot of, like, ah! action in this issue. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, 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 you know, the, the time to ruin some lives uh, award. I just want to give to the, the whole book because I'm just like, Oh man, oh man, oh man. You got Theta, who is the the star of the previous Predator series, and like she's still here as a big part, but like something happens in here. I'm like, oh man. I, it's a great freaking book. I love Predator. This this series has been killer. All right, next up, Silver Surfer, Ghostlight issue number three. This book is just it's such a, a fun exploration of one, a, a character that we haven't seen since forever, since like the 60s, 70s. And like another is like, just this like family having to deal and grapple with you know a one a relative coming back to life but two coming back to life with superpowers and being a cosmic being um but i'm gonna go ahead and give my time to ruin some lives award to this like weird moment where aim kind of comes into play and they start attacking both ghost light and silver surfer and silver surfer's just standing in there and also he's like ow Ow, ow, because he's getting shot by these guns. And he's like, why can't I feel this? Oh, they figured out how to get through the cosmic radiation. Oh, no, what do we do? And he's just like, it's just so funny to see that because he's like, I've never had to deal with it. And he's just like, ow, 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 ow. <laughs> so funny. On to the first of four Star Wars books that we have this week, uh, which is fitting because last weekend was Star Wars Celebration, uh, which is always super cool. We've got Star Wars Bounty Hunters. Number 33, uh, I will give my Time to Ruin Some Lives award to the one-on-one brawl between Versio and Tonga. It is just, it's a, it's just a good fight scene. All right, next up is, full disclosure, this book made me cry, but Star Wars, Dr. Aphra, issue number three, and if you've been following the whole Spark storyline that we've been on for the past couple of issues, this is where it comes to a head. We meet Dr. Aphra mid-fight with uh, Darth Vader and... The rest of the team all trying to essentially defeat the the spark by using this fermata cage, which is also the device that they're trying to use to defeat the Sith Lord. Um, and if you've been reading Hidden Empire, you know that that is part of Kira's like massive plan right now is to use this to trick the Sith to come into it and trap them or defeat them. Uh, but what we get here is a moment where some tough decisions are going to have to be made. Um, And it involves Dr. Aphra and Stara. And there's a a sweet moment between both of those characters. Uh, One where Dr. Aphra, of course, still like keeps her snark and still like has to, you know, make a joke, even though like she's in pain and potentially dying. Uh, She's like, at least I get to be surrounded by all these beautiful women. But also like we get a moment between Stara and her where Stara is the one who has to make a decision. And we almost, almost, almost get some emotion out of uh dr afra um i don't want to spoil too much but yeah that got me yeah hell yeah great issue um all right on to star wars return of the jedi ewoks number one one of our uh numerous one shots celebrating the 40th anniversary of return of the jedi look full disclosure i love Ewoks. I love Return of the Jedi. I was two years old when Return of the Jedi came out, and I it hit. I I remember being obsessed with it, obsessed with Ewoks. I have a vivid memory 
of being in my in a, in a car driving in Queens and College Point down like this main strip with little Ewoks toys, the Kenner Ewoks toys, the figures from then and playing with them on the dashboard, which now that I think about it, that was terribly dangerous. What was I doing in the front seat at two or three years old? Were you also sitting on a Spider-Man's lap? No, I don't know if that's more or less dangerous. I have to have a conversation with my mother. But anyway, uh, love, love, love Ewoks and, and Return of the Jedi. Um, this one, this is is an anthology book with a couple of different stories and a, a story that um, one that um, branches them all together. And the branching thing is is really cool because it is Ewoks telling stories around the campfire. It's so, so you good. get different tales of different Ewoks and, and everything that they go through. I'm going to give my Time to Ruin Some Lives award to uh, Kyle Hotz's story. Alyssa Wong writes everything. They do a great job, and it's really good. And Alyssa writes a horror story for Kyle to draw, (laughs) and damn, does Kyle draw the hell out of it. And I was, like, waiting for something to happen, and then the end comes, I was like, (laughs) I just started cracking up. It's so good. It's so silly, and I love it so much. So good. It was a great issue. Could have been one of my picks. And I'll also round out our Star Wars books with Star Wars The High Republic number eight. I'm going to give my Time to Ruin Some Lives award to a really cool monster design that I think kind of eats the force out of a Jedi. At least that's how it feels in there, which is pretty gnarly. All right. Next up, we're going to leave Star Wars to go to another galaxy far, far away. We're going to talk about Storm and the Brotherhood of Mutants, issue number three. And I absolutely have to give my... Time to Ruin Some Lives Award to Mistress Mold, who is a giant battle mech droid in space that is being piloted by Emma Frost, who is very creatively is in this like bathtub that is vertical and is pretty much it takes place inside of the like red diamond gem that's on the, the Mistress Mold's like head. Uh, but also like the fact that as she's getting into it, she's like, so like, it's, it's all worked out, right? The gravity's already going to like, it's, we're not going to get a bunch of slushingness going on here. Like the water's going to stand still the whole time. Like that's what she cares about. Not the battle. She's like, I just don't want it to get all gross and like wet everywhere and nasty. And I thought that was so creative and so just like very on brand for Emma. And for that, she gets my award. All right, we've got X-23 Deadly Regenesis number two this week. Uh, We get lots of Haymakers rage against X-23 and like the why of it all, which is really intense and valid in some senses, but still also like X-23's reaction to it is also valid. Oh, man. Great issue. Uh, I'm going to give my Time to Ruin Some Lives award to this wild scene of a young X-23 in a trunk of a car, and then she gets unleashed. And that is just, just, I was like, man, I want to see that on screen because that's just like some intense stuff. Next up, we have X-Men issue number 21. I'm going to go ahead and give my Time to Ruin Some Lives award to a conversation. Mostly, no, I'm not even going to give it to the conversation because I'm not going to entertain that man's thoughts. But I'm going to go ahead and give it to Jean Grey for putting Scott Summers in his place. And it was Ooh. it was kind of vicious. And uh, at one point, she even calls him a human. <gasps> the audacity. I love it. If she called him flat skin, I would have been like, Woo! the drama, Ooh. man. There's so I love this book so much. I like I specifically didn't pick it because I feel like I always pick X-Men, but it's that damn good. It is so, so good. So ah. God, I love that book. I love X-Men. Comics are great. Speaking of great comics, let's get into our collections this week. We've got a whole bunch, including X-Men Epic Collection Legacies, which is really great. It's the issues right after Executioner's Song um, and actually includes Strife Strike Files in it. Uh, I I knew I should have waited to buy it. (laughs) <laughs> uh but legacies is great it's it's gonna break your damn heart if you've never read it it's to like 297 to 300 or something like that for uncanny and it's um it's yeah it's it's good stuff it's like my some of my key era stuff of formative x-men reading so definitely go check that out over on the infinity comic side of things for marvel unlimited a lot of issues this week some second issues some just like middle of the middle of the arc issues no launches no finales this week um we've got x-men unlimited 
Spider-Verse Unlimited, Avengers Unlimited, Marvel's Voices, Negasonic Teenage Warhead, Love Unlimited with Gwenpool, Alligator, Loki. and Excuse well, me, no new I, books launching? I was, yep, I, I will correct myself and say we have an adaptation in the service this week. We are gifted with brute force. Amazing. I can't yeah. wait. I can't yeah. tell you how many times I've read this book, but it's less than the amount of fingers on my own one hand for sure. <laughs> but also to add it one more time in infinity comic form is just beautiful. It's yeah. a gift. It, it is truly a gift and also gifts to us this week. Comics new to Marvel unlimited. Uh, we've got a bunch in uh, from three months ago, including our picks of the week from that week, Captain America, Sentinel of Liberty, number eight, Scarlet, Witch, number one and Shang-Chi master of the 10 rings. So some really good books in there, plus a whole bunch of others. So go check all of those out. Also, what you can read on Marvel Unlimited this week, the books that we're talking about in our reading club, which is what, Jasmine? We're going to be talking about New Avengers issues number one through six, which is a New Avengers breakout. If you have a collection, um, it is by Brian Michael Bendis and David Finch. One of my all-time favorites. This is this is my bread and butter. I cannot wait to get into this with Annalise Bissa, who is an editor here at Marvel. Uh, so let's dive into it. Jasmine, it's time to break out with our guest this week, Annalise Bisa, who is associate editor in the Avengers office because she's Woo! a narc. Hi, Annalise. Hello. <laughs> I, I, I self-identify as a narc. She's not a narc. <laughs> Although the, the baseball cap that she's wearing is giving like undercover narc. <laughs> Hello, fellow kids. Type exactly. Of Annalise, we we all know that you're like a pretty big X-Men fan. Last time you came on the show, you talked about Demon Bear, um, but you brought an Avenger book this week. Is it because you you turned to the dark side or is it because like, <laughs> like I just, I'm curious, where's, where does Avengers like land in your fandom? Yeah, so I was, I described myself a million times uh, to anybody who would listen as like an X-Men child. Like I read all the Essentials collections. I've always been a bigger X-Men fan than almost anything else. But this book that we're going to talk about specifically was one that I was just like right in the like going to the comic shop on Wednesday um, time frame for like I was picking it up every time it came out. I was so into it. And I just had such like a strong place in my heart, especially this first arc as like, what a good like getting the team together book can be. Mm hmm. That to me, it's always like, I, I really don't know where it stands in terms of like the fan pantheon. Um, I just, I don't know. But for me, it's like atop the heap. Yes. I mean, for me, I, I'm similar. Uh, I didn't come into comics because this would have been, like, I would have been in fifth grade when this came out. Um, I was but, in fourth like, grade, so yeah. Yeah. And like, I, I don't, I wasn't getting the comic frequently. I didn't really jump on to New Avengers until about like, halfway through when we had civil war um but i remember like going back almost immediately because i wanted to know how this team formed and it's such a like easy place to start um in avengers comics and like it immediately just throws you into all of these events and they're all like the early 2000 events that like for me at least shaped my my marvel fandom for the most part so i agree with you here that it's very high up for me yeah i there, there's just something about the simplicity of like you know breakout is the arc title right that like these many people have escaped and even if you removed it from all of the other events of like the avengers world and the marvel universe and all the different pieces like i think you could just tell a really compelling story that's here are these superheroes who feel responsible for these supervillains being released into the world they have to go and get them back and they run into everything else along the way like it's just it's so clean. It's such an easy place to come in. And if you have all the extra context of like prior series and mm -hmm. hero relationships, like that's great, but it's like icing on the cake of this really beautiful, simple conceit. Yeah. One other thing I'll add is that it's like around this time that we start getting some of the movies, some of the Marvel movies, like early Marvel movies. So Spider-Man and Daredevil, like those types of films come out and it's funny to, to like see how we get Daredevil like almost getting recruited to the Avengers because like as someone who you know 
maybe came to the comics because of the movies, you'd be like, why isn't Daredevil here? He's a Marvel hero, right? And then you, your answer, your question gets answered right away. Um, and I found that really interesting in my reread. I also just love that there's page real estate given to him saying no. Like it yeah. feels very Daredevil, but it also makes the book feel, it's not like, oh, of course everyone's in. Like there's various levels of buy-in immediately and Daredevil's like, absolutely not. <laughs> He's such an emo baby. He's just like, oh, I can't. I don't want to bring my drama to the Avengers. You guys wouldn't understand. Classic Matt Murdock. Love it. So good. Um, I have so many thoughts about this, uh, but I want to I want to couch it. Of course, we were talking about New Avengers Breakout issues one through six of the New Avengers launch from 2004, 2005, written by Brian Michael Bendis, penciled by David Finch, colors by Frank Darmada, inks by Danny Miki, letters by Richard Starkings. Now, so this launched December 1st. 2004 same month we had astonishing x-men number seven daredevil number 68 so brian michael bendis's daredevil run has been going on for a couple of years we're into issue 10 of writer dan slot's she hulk run this one was wild to me the same month that new avengers launches ultimates 2 launches by mark miller and brian hitch which is like you've got two of the biggest avengers series like launching right at the same time um, we are four parts into Mark Miller and John Romita Jr.'s uh, Wolverine series, Enemy of the State, or their uh, Wolverine uh, story arc, Enemy of the State, which is really, really great. Um, we are uh, just about to launch the precursor to our Stormbreakers uh, artists, which would, uh, back then, it was called The Young Guns, and it was Olivier Coipel, Jim Chung, David Finch, Adi Granov. Trevor Hairsign and Steve McNiven, which is wow. just bangers all around. In 2005, all those guys would do a lot more, but they really started to, we were meant, we were really like getting the ball rolling here at the end of 2004. And then the month prior to this, which I wanted to look back because I had a, an inkling, we had um, the first issue of Captain America written by Ed Brubaker in, is right, right in there. This and explains Avengers so disassembled. much. It's so good. Avengers Disassembled finishes the month before New Avengers number one. So the Avengers explode, break up, all kinds of horrible chaos. But And I, in my head, I thought there was like a gap. We would like take a breath from Avengers and then we come, like, come in. That's what my memory had. But looking at the dates, it was just Avengers 503, Avengers finale, New Avengers within weeks of each other. So we were rolling right into this like new era of Avengers. And it's, a, it's also like... A, we're really like in this interesting era of Marvel storytelling because Annalise, I, I love how you talked about giving so much real estate to Matt Murdock saying no and just like having a conversation. There's one or two pages to that. This is like the era of decompressed storytelling as, as that was the buzzword going around a lot in the mid two thousands of like, we're going to stretch this out and like reading it now if this story like was done five years before, this would have been one and a half issues. The six issues would have been done in like maybe two issues. They would have had the the full breakout stuff would have been in like the first 18 pages of an issue, you know, and then it would have been a little bit of carrying over and then building into the next team and, and, and building a lot of stuff. But I love that we actually get a lot of those moments you get the room for David Finch's art to just explode off the page. You get reveals, you get a lot of moments and decompressed is not a bad thing. It, it It's just a different way to tell our stories. It feels very widescreen. It feels very cinematic. It feels like you're letting us tell the stories in different ways. And it's, it's friggin' great. I love this. Yeah. And it also just like reads like amazingly as a trade. It's so easy to read. It's so easy to read, and it's wild, though, like, pulling it apart into its constituent parts as well and realizing, like, you don't even get the whole story of the breakout until issue three, I think, when they, f when they go back and tell the end of the Luke Cage-Purple Man interaction. It's like, that is so much time, but you get, like, so much of the texture of everybody has these great encounters with villains or... Like, just Spider-Man's monologuing as he tries to get to the eye. Like, it's just, it's so good. And it doesn't feel slow at all, though I imagine if you were reading it as it was coming out. I'd be so, like, hungry for the next issue. Like, I would be like, no, bring it. 
I need it now. We we were we were very much like give us more, but it was a, it was an excitement because there was just a lot of buzz. There was you know like a lot of cool stuff going on. We're still in the, those first couple of years of of Jokasada as editor in chief and really like shaking things up and thinking about our stories in different ways. And so when we were getting these new launches, Astonishing X Men again is is only like six months in, and that had reinvigorated X Men again after all the reinvigorations of just three years prior. It's, just wild. We were really like hungry, but in an excited way as weekly yeah. readers. Yeah, it's wild. I, I'm also, every time I read it, just bowled over by the patience and the trust to not introduce Wolverine until issue yeah. five. I like, thought that was wild. I don't know if we would do that today. Like just the way the market is and the way mm. that like people read we're so like trying to get people in the door that I, I think it's incredible. And like, you know, in this cavalcade of amazing cliffhangers at the end of every issue, you're like, Oh my gosh. But you know, to, just the claws at the end of four and then Wolverine on the cover of five, you're like, Oh, that's why Daredevil's not on this team. <laughs> this is the guy who needs to, to come in here. You get Sentry introduced before Wolverine. In like centuries on the cover of issue three, which is just crazy to me that like such a wild pull to bring in like issue three. Just be like, yeah. oh yeah, we're also gonna stick this guy in there. Well, and I just love the Savage Land in general. Like every part of that bit, how you go from this like ultra, you know, urban like oh they're they're they've got the tower and they're all you know living in this very real New York City, and then just dropped into the jungle, the plane crashes but doesn't crash which is another incredible <laughs> bit that i just love um and and all of a sudden they're doing savage land stuff but it it is of savage land that you believe with the rest of the world because it's being you know exploited by mining interests and everything it's just it's awesome um so you mentioned the cover and i think it's an important thing so there's the first cover the, the main cover of the first issue uh has most of the team in in almost silhouette they, there's like a little bit of light shining on them from lightning and you get to see the core team and Wolverines on there and stuff, but there's also variants. And one of the variants is the Joe Casada variant and Sentry's on it. Ronin is on the cover oh, wow. of issue one and Ronin's not a part of this book for quite a while. It is a wild, big swing to, to like say, this is going to happen. When? How? Where? Why? We ain't telling you. Who's that dude? We don't yeah, know. Yeah, that's, that's not our problem. If you like him, then you're going to have to pick up every issue and find out. Yeah. It is such a move. I I love it so much because, uh, yeah, it, 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 it says, join us because we're going to some really cool places. Don't get left behind. One of the things that I wanted to, to quickly add, I mean, as we we're, we're starting to get into the, like the, the meat of this uh, story, but uh this book really feels like the culmination of like what brian michael bendis has been, had been doing up until that point like ryan you mentioned uh his daredevil run he also like was on alias working on jessica jones and some luke cage uh he's got ultimate spider-man um under his belt as well and like he brings these characters onto the avengers and really starts to flesh them out in like a team setting which mm -hmm. i thought was really cool to see especially like there's moments where I'm like, I don't know if this is going to work or like, why are we going to have two spider peoples uh, on the team? And it gets addressed right away. It's just like, oh, I know what you're thinking. And boom, we're going to put it on the second panel when they first meet uh, in Avengers Tower. Uh, and it's great. It works. Uh, same thing goes for Luke Cage and Daredevil. I mean, Daredevil's identity was exposed uh, prior to this. It's just like it continues right off of what he was working on. Like he could have, he set himself up to like, have to deal with these certain things and he dealt with them versus just like erasing them and you know starting with a clean slate yeah that's it's very cool and i think a lot of people get nervous about people i mean writers uh get right get, like just this anxiety about like you know like playing too much in the sandbox and making trying like if you know feeling like maybe they're trying to like get too much territory I don't think he had that problem in part because I think he, his success had put him in a place where he could kind of, where Brian Michael Bendis could kind of do what he liked to a certain extent. 
but like it just it feels like this very confident storytelling that takes it's big so confident and just pushes out the boundaries of like what are we going to do in this world that is so satisfying as a reader and also like talking about big swings like he the villains that he picks for like the breakout that he highlights in the breakout aren't big names like even like as we continue like they're just all these like lesser known villains um when he could have picked the big names and he was just like no i'm gonna like show you these smaller ones i mean purple man was probably the biggest one in that room uh and like he really like gets you to he he hooks you like it's not like oh he they just knocked out green goblin or oh they just knocked out you know another major villain it's these small ones and he he has room to play uh he can really really flesh these characters out but like take a step back from that we have a big avengers launch where there's no major avengers villain at yeah. the core of it it's a it's you get Carnage, Spider-Man villain, Electro, Spider-Man villain, Sauron, X-Men villain. Um, Mr. Hyde shows up for a brief minute and he's a he's a, a an Avengers villain. You get Count Nefaria for a second. He's an Avengers villain. But like we're not dealing with traditional Avengers villains. It throws everything on its head. And Brian is like uh, he elevates Luke Cage because he's been writing Luke in The Pulse and in, in Jessica Jones for a while. Like he's doing all these things in ways that seem normal to us now because we have 20 years of like watching these characters be at the forefront of stuff. But at the time it is just breaking every single rule. Well, the biggest one being Wolverine, which was, I mean, it gets brought up right away where Captain America and Iron Man have to talk about whether or not Wolverine can be an Avenger and ends with Iron Man being like, well, like we need someone who can, go places that we can't go and i'm just like okay captain america's like you're right it should, let's it feels do like it a tiny bit off for captain america to be like a little bit as long as i'm not doing the killing it all works <laughs> it's like, does it <laughs> it you you also it, it's wolverine's like wait what is going on what are you what are you all doing together he's he's questioning it all his own but on the on the other side of that we also have spider-man who has been like this reserve Avenger, but the idea of Spider-Man being a part of a team was so against it. And he even talks about it in this. And uh, there's a great bit of dialogue where he's like, you know, fine. I'm always been da 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 da. And, and Cap's like, yeah, but you can join us. You could do more. You could be better. And he's like, all right, what, how much does it pay? And, and Cap's like, <laughs> there's no money involved. And he's like, that's so Spider-Man. That's just my luck. Very on brand. Yep. Well, there's also the um, the bit later where he's like, I knew it would be one of my guys. Yeah. <laughs> when he finds out Electro. Now maybe feels a little bit more like self-referential than we would want our characters to be. But I think at this time it wasn't. So I think that maybe it's become a little bit of a trope for people to like understand their own, you know, cadre of villains and like who is supposed to be in their world versus not. But like it's just it works so well because he's I think it's also in part that he's really the only one who seems to kind of know the sort of story he's in where everybody else is just like living and he's like quippy Spider-Man about it. Uh, real quick, just because I was flipping through the trade, uh, they have a director's cut in here, but they have it like annotated where that big page with Electro breaking out all the villains. They have a list of all the vi- villains. You ready for this? We got Centurious, Electro, Bushwhacker. A Blood Brother, Grey Gargoyle, Shockwave, Blackout, Vapor, Armadillo, Mr. Fear, X-Ray, Barbarus, A Brother Grim, Molecule Man, Controller, The Slug, Scarecrow, Jigsaw, Zax, it's Zax with three Zs, yeah. Typhoid Mary, Vermin, Vector, Mandrill, Purple Man, Griffin, and Ironclad. Like, what an assortment. A-list, all of them. A-list. Yeah. <laughs> is Brian's script in there? Uh, yes. Because I'd be, you know, knowing Brian, he would probably have said, like, I need to have Purple Man in here and, like, two others. He's like, whatever else you want to put in there. And I, I'm curious from your experience with this, Annalise, like, you know, sometimes you've got these stories with a lot of characters. And I imagine neither the writer nor the artist are, like, coming to the table with a full list of all the characters is that did you ever run into that where you're like all right let's put x y and z in here or does he usually have like a full list we need to see this and then you're pulling reference and stuff like that 
It really depends. You know, sometimes you get the writer who is the like mega Marvel wiki nerd and is like, here are my dream, especially I think like newer writers who are like, if I never get to write a book that has, you know, Sauron in it, then like, I'm going to put Sauron in the background of this. So I get to say I did it or whatever. But then sometimes you get the same thing with artists where they're, you know, they have such like an encyclopedic love of like the Marvel lore that they're like, I will drop in all of my favorites. I would say probably most frequently just due to like the speed at which everybody's working, it becomes a, a, there's a little bit of like editorially, I would say usually the way it goes is the editorial team makes up a list, drops it in our character clearances slack and goes, is there a problem if in October we have a Brother Grimm, Typhoid Mary, blah, 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 all show up in this issue and people go, oh, they're in jail. Oh, they're in a different dimension. You know, maybe don't show them. We just killed them, you know, whatever. And so you kind of like whittle down and add from there. And then that's how you get your list. And then from there, yeah, it's a lot of finding reference, getting interns to find you reference. <laughs> I, I, I'm looking at the page in the script where he, where this happens and he has them all listed out. Like no. he added them all. Um, and there are a little bit, there are some that aren't there. That he listed out, like the living laser, full killer, uh, tiger shark, but he definitely full has killer like, is definitely depicted somewhere in there in 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 the thing because I remember the costume for full killer somewhere in there. Sorry, continue. No, no, and he had like razor fist and the wrecking crew. But then here's my favorite part about this: at the end of that paragraph, it's like a solid thirty characters that he just lists out. At the end of it, he goes, "Purple man is front and center in the crowd. Keep Carnage, Mister Hyde, and a couple other of the tougher villains." Uh, for another scene next issue, but remember no costumes or tech wear or villain paraphernalia. The ones that can power up, power up. The ones that can't, do not. But they fill the hallway and they are all ready to kill someone. That's awesome. Hell yeah. It's just so good. Like the fact that he was like, all right, we're saving Carnage for next issue. Like, don't draw him here. And, you know, that Carnage splash next issue that like the big, it's, He's got that gnarly, like, rounded mouth with the teeth, and it just, he's terrifying looking. It's also just the absolute paunchiest Foggy Nelson of all time. <laughs> he's so sweat. Oh, man. It's awful. He's so, like, he looks gross. And when he, like, first <laughs> freaks out, like, I, I get, with Carnage, I'm like, oh, my God. Like, ooh. Like, I felt, I felt the visceral reaction that he had. Well, he looks like such a regular guy next to all the superheroes yeah. and supervillains. You're like, if I were in this situation, I would die. Simply. Yeah. There's no question. Yeah. No question about it. But if we're talking about Carnage, we also have to talk about the scene where Sentry takes him up into space and just rips him in half. And then we don't talk about it. We don't see him anymore. I'm just like, that just he's, happened. Wow. He's gone for a couple of years after that. He's like, he then I believe back, it. But yeah. Uh, I think before we, we really even dig into that, got to remember that, okay, so the Sentry is a, a huge reveal here because this is a couple of years after uh, the, the Sentry was first introduced. It was, uh, I, I looked it up, it was July 2000 to January 2001 when the original Sentry limited series by Paul Jenkins and Jay Lee um, came out and then the, the, the one shots or whatever. So that story was really a, a very limited thing, seven months or so, and then done. It was not meant necessarily to be an ongoing thing. It was it was started as a prank. It was started as a like a, a thing. There was a whole lot of weirdness around it. I know people hate the century. I know people love the century. There's like a full spectrum about it. But this was such a like, what is going on? Because nobody expected him to ever show up again. It's fascinating that this got through and that was such a, a, a key point. Annalise, where do you stand on the Sentry? I am not a huge Sentry devotee, but I always have mm-hmm. a soft spot for him. Though when I picture him, I always picture him as that last page of issue one, like huddled in the cell, just in the absolute like depths of despair. And I, I just, I keep going to like specific moments because I think that's like another thing is that this book manages to tell such a great, compelling like narrative while also having just nonstop killer 
scenes for like the artist to draw and for the reader to freak out about. And like, for example, the him flying into space scene, I'm looking at it now, it's three pages with no dialogue. It's only sound effects. Like, you know, so you just, Sentry is not, he's not explaining himself. He's not giving the reader really much context of who he is outside of what people are saying about him and what they've been saying about him this entire issue, which is, you know, naturally going to go, have, you know, even if you don't know who the Sentry is, you're like, is this a hero or a villain? Yeah. He seems yeah. like, you know, he's very concerned? dangerous. Right. And, you know, you're almost like, he's as scary to, to Foggy as Carnage is. I believe it's issue, like, we don't get the backstory of Sentry until, like, issue eight or nine, which is still, like, a, a really long time to hold out, especially if you're like, who is this guy? Like, if you're new to this this series, he doesn't come back until those issues either. Like, he's not in the last two issues of the series three of the six issues that we just read yeah it would be very funny if he just immediately joined the team and they were like we're fine with all the wife killing stuff don't worry about it you're probably fine (laughs) you know we we talked about some of the things but it's so fascinating to think about how much brian in just these six issues starts thinking about you know and, and how much influence this has putting in stark slash avengers tower here um the rise of luke cage which he's been working on but like luke cage then gets a tv series would would luke have been on television had he not been an event in an avengers book i don't know it's hard to say spidey on the avengers as a member of the team that's a big thing here the you know the return of the century and how he was integrated into comics for years shield and maria hill and all the stuff that's going on would maria hill have been the character that she was and been in movies and television shows for over a decade. Like, and there's so much more goes on, but it's wild. Yeah. And like the biggest thing is like, he rebuilds a, a, an Avengers team in, in a moment where there is no Avengers team. Like, how do you create a new Avengers team? How do you, you know, take what we had before and patch it up and fix it? Or what would, what would it take to have some new heroes on here? Like stuff like that, where it's like, it challenged a lot of people to, change the perception of like what the Avengers could be or could look like. Um, especially because normally you only get like one or two characters added to a, a new team. But like to just be like, we're going to cut this thing in half. We're only going to have like Cap and Iron Man and then a bunch of new characters who've never been on the Avengers. Let's go. Like that's such a bold choice. Um, also, did you guys get like Secret Invasion vibes when we hit the Savage Land? I don't want to spoil it, but I bit. was like, oh, oh. I just love the Savage Land. Yeah. I I know Brian had been thinking about all his plans for Jessica Drew and the Scrolls for a while. I would guess he was probably thinking about that here because there's a lot of intrigue with, with Jessica Drew in this already. But like, you know, Tom Brevoort, you know, has talked about Brian's plans and he didn't tell that Brian didn't tell Tom about them, you know, even though he was cooking them up and seeding them in various ways. And so I imagine some of this was was seed that Brian oh, was yeah. working on and thinking about. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that Tom loved that. <laughs> what? <laughs> you, I'm, yeah, Tom Tom loves surprises. It's great. Uh, Annalise, what are some of the, the titles that you're currently working on or have coming up that you want to, you know, tell people to, to check out if they haven't already? Yeah, um, I work on Avengers, both the Avengers that just is wrapping up, wrapped up, and the new one that we're putting together, which is super exciting. I was just reading a a PDF of it as it goes to print this week. So Avengers number one, coming your way. If you're excited about an all-new Avengers team, like the one that you see formed here, you can read about the formation of a new Avengers team. Uh, it comes out in May. But yeah, so I work on Avengers. I work on Fantastic Four. Um, I work on Moon Knight. Um, and then in terms of my own books, I just finished working on uh, Monica Rambo Photon and I'm putting together Bloodline Daughter of Blade, which has been super awesome. So and good. if you like teen heroes, check it out. Well, those both Bloodline and Moon Knight are out this week. Uh, we just covered them earlier in the show, but we... Okay, Annalise, when are we going to get a Tigra? Of art, like, I slacked you about this yesterday. Yeah. Annalise. Okay. 
because that issue was amazing. Yeah, she is awesome. I I love the way Jed writes her. She's just like, yeah, I, I'm also pro Tigra book. So we'll see what kind of, you know, movement we can get on that from Tom and everybody else. We got a Hellcat series. Yeah, just you know? do, I was about to say, I was like, pull a Chris Cantwell, just make the annual a secret Tigra story. And then get everybody excited for a miniseries. We could do a Tigra and Hellcat series. Cat oh. team up. Cats. Ooh. Cats the musical the cat. of the comic book. Oh my god. Oh, with with Mephisto in it. Mr. Mistopheles. Black Cat. We got a lot of them. The the books you, you listed out on Lace are all great. You're doing mm-hmm. wonderful work. Thank you for, for all you do. Thank you. Thank you so much. Glad, I'm glad people are enjoying them. And thank you for joining us. This was so much fun. I, I'm so happy you brought this to us because I could go on about this book forever. Like, this is my bread and butter. And I love the series so much. Yeah, I'm so happy to have been here and had a fun time talking to you guys about it. Big thank you to Annalise for coming on the show, talking about New Avengers Breakout. And holy moly, that is almost 20 years ago when that came out. It's crazy. It's so wild. I remember reading those comics in the uh, in the lunchroom at Wizard Magazine. Um, so I remember reading those in go. the lunchroom in middle school. <laughs> there you go, everybody. Generations <laughs> here on Marvel's Pull List. That's a wrap for us. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos and Jasmine Estrada. Brad Barton is Pull List Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. And Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Make sure to email us over at pullist at marvel.com. You can also tweet or hit us up on Instagram using the hashtag Marvel's Pullist. Make sure to also rate and subscribe. Uh, give us those five stars, y'all. And uh, tell a friend about the show. Yeah. For more information and full quote of the week contest rules, go to marvel.com slash quote rules. Terms and conditions apply. Open to U.S. residents 18 and up. Marvel Insider is open to U.S. residents 18 plus only. Terms apply. Visit marvel.com slash insider to join or sign in to answer Marvel's pull list quote of the week. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jasmine. This is Marvel. Your universe.